1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is page 959 in the Pew Bibles, and please stand for the reading of God's holy word. First Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so, that to, so as to re remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So summer is upon us, right? We're hoping, right? We, we've experienced, now we're going into the 70s and 80s. Hopefully that will extend beyond next this, this upcoming week and we'll actually start moving full force into summer. The grass is going to start turning green, more green, and we're going to have to mow more. Then that means that we are going to have to buy propane tanks and we are going to have the grill ready at all times. We get a dust off the outside tables, and baseball is in full force. I experienced that with our family. Games are going. Practices are going. Summer is upon us, and with this change in season, with the change of weather, with the change of pace, we have, as a family, a particular opportunity for this season to show the love of Christ which means that we get to particularly show the love of Christ in fresh and new ways. Winter is gone. Summer has come. Hallelujah, right? Winter is gone. It reminds me of the book C.S. Lewis talks about there's something happening in Narnia. They, Mr. Tumnus always knew that winter was cold and dismal. And in winter, there, there you go, look at that. There, maybe you could read it for us. What do you think? But in it, he always knew winter was dismal and cold. And it's because the, the witch had come and taken, wrongfully taken the throne. And they never experienced Christmas. But there's a certain point where all of a sudden... There was a reminder. Things started changing. The snow started giving way. And there was a rumor being spread around that Aslan 
is on the move. And with Aslan's movement into Narnia, trees started budding. The hearts of people started changing. There was a revolution stirring. And for us, I want us to take the next four weeks with this change of seasons to examine what is love. What what does it mean for us to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and not stop there? But for us to love our neighbors as ourselves. To be the kind of people that display the love of Christ in every conversation, in every interaction, on every, in every nook and cranny, in your up and down your streets, in the, in the Target, in your coffee shops, in the restaurants, for us to display the love of Christ, to share the love of Christ, both in our actions, but also in our words. So this morning, we are going to start off by asking the question, what does love got to do with it? Anybody want to break out into song right now? <laughs> Todd? No? Hey, who sang who sang this song? Frank Sinatra. No. Not Paul. No. Or Justin Bieber. It was. So what does love got to do with this? Everybody talks about love. If you look on, on, on the television, if you read in the magazines, you look on even today, I, I read all kinds of blurbs on Facebook about the love that I have for my mom. And it's a particular kind of love. Everyone talks about love. Just about everywhere we turn, everyone is talking about and wanting to express it, and they want to receive it. In fact, we, it may be one of the most popular things and subjects in our culture. We just love to talk about love. Yet never before has love been more exploited. Nor has it ever been more distorted and twisted than in our time. In some ways, love has become an almost empty, meaningless word because of our misunderstanding or our shallow grasp of love. Even our watching world, as they're looking at us, they criticize Christians, don't they? They say, You're unloving. You don't care. There's, there's something about you guys are disconnected. You're judgmental. You're aloof. Anybody ever experienced that? Maybe even from other Christians? Man, dude, you're, you are judgmental. Your finger is always pointing. You're, you're just, I don't want to be around you at all. And then it is only increased exponentially by a watching, unbelieving world as they watch how we interact with each other or how we cast our hand grenades and lob them into the other camp. This very reality, or at least a perception, has greatly affected our ability to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. The famed... English journalist G.K. Chesterton from uh, last century once responded to a quip of a headline that showed up in the London, in the London Times. 
Bombs were, were dropping in the Great War all around him, and people were just trying to make some kind of sense out of what is going on. Why is this world so broken? So the editor of the London Times wrote on the top of the paper, the headlines of the paper, what's wrong with the world? What's wrong with the world? It's a question that is perennial in our, even in our time. What is wrong with this world? As we look across the landscape, the political landscape, the, the, the uh, religious landscape, the relational landscape, we ask the question, in even our marriages, in our friendships, in our family structures, what is wrong with this world? The question comes up again and again and again. And if you have not asked that question, just keep on living. Just keep on living. Life has a way of just kind of encroaching on your comfortability pushing you maybe even into a corner to ask these kind of questions of what is wrong with this world. And so G.K. Chesterton is famed for writing back to the editor. And this is what he wrote. Dear sirs, I am. Sincerely yours, G.K. Chesterton. What's wrong with the world? I am. Is it possible that that might even be our reality? That we may have bought into maybe the world's cheap and empty definition and expression of love, and we even offer cheap imitations of love that cost nothing. You could just go to the relational dime store and give out what the world gives. Have, have we done that? And so instead of standing firm in love, many Christians have been duped by the world's definition and expressions of love, which proclaims self rather than sacrifice. Friends, this is, this is critical that we understand this. What's love got to do with it? It's got everything to do with it. Consider the period at the end of Jesus' ministry before he was, he was ready to face the cross and he, he knew he was going to the cross. He knew the cost that was going to, to be extracted from him. He knew he was going to the grave, but he also knew about his ascension. And in that moment, as he was about ready to leave his dearly beloved disciples, where he has spent waking hours, moments, and days wrestling with them and telling them stories, displaying the kingdom of God right before their eyes, displaying miracles and expressing love. He exhorts them. He strongly encourages them about the crucial importance, the critical importance of loving one another. Love, friends, is, is the most important grace by far. It is listed first in the place of the New Testament, and Jesus tells his disciples that it is love, it is love that is going to give them great credibility in evangelism. Here's what, and I would even dare to say that nobody is going to be saved 
without love. Whether it be the love of God or the love of mankind. Listen to John 13. Little children. Do you hear the tenderness in Christ's voice? Little children. Yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me and just as I said to the Jews. So now I say to you where I am going. You cannot come. A new commandment I give to you. I'm not, you can't go with me right now. So I'm going to give you something in its place. A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, people will know that you are my disciples. By this, by this commandment of how you love one another, by this, the world, the watching world, is going to know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That, that should be kind of ingrained in your brain. It should be written in indelible ink that the way that I love people is going to be a visible testimony to a watching world. They will know that I follow Jesus Christ by the way that I love my brothers and sisters and by the way that I love them. This is a, no, this is the distinguishing mark of a Christian. However old or young the person is, in whatever century the person might be living in, or whatever part of the globe they may be living on, love is the distinguishing mark of a Christian. This is the eternal, even the eternal requirement. It doesn't stop at the grave. You will continue to love until the Lord returns. This is to characterize every single man, woman, and child who is a follower of Jesus Christ. So this morning, I opened up to the famed section on love. I don't know how many weddings off the top of my head that I have done where a couple will say, oh, or how many weddings I have gone to, and it's, uh, could, could you preach on 1 Corinthians 13, right? Man, that, that's it. That's what, uh, that's what I want you to preach, and but that mentality has sadly led many people to view that this kind of love is unique and it is set apart only for a husband and wife. And that's just not true. It's just not true. In fact, the book in the Bible called 1 Corinthians was written to whom? A church in Corinth. And so this book, 1 Corinthians, was written to the church in Corinth, and chapter 13 was written to a group of people. A group of people. The context of this passage suggests that this love 
is not just for special occasions. It is not meant just for Mother's Day. It's not just for Father's Day. It's not just for anniversaries. It's not just for birthdays. It's not just for marriages. This is laid out for you. For those who are in Christ Jesus. This passage says something to each and every person who is in Christ. It is something to to pursue, to chase after, and it is something that we must display. So let's define this thing called love that is so greatly misunderstood. Let's define this thing and understand it so that we understand at, at least this group, this gathering, we can walk away and say, I get it. Ryan, there's a long one and a short one. Start with the short one. Love is simply the giving by God of himself to his creatures. That is the real simple definition. It is God giving himself fully to his creatures. Here I am. All of me. I am giving to you. That's pretty simple, right? Now, I want you to understand that, though. Let's kind of break it down a little bit more. So God is saying, I I am giving myself to you, all of me. Well, who is he giving himself to? Let's think about what we've talked about in Romans. While I was yet a, a what? Sinner. That described you, right? While I was yet a sinner, Christ died. He gave himself to me, undeserving. Here's the bigger definition. Give me the next one, right? It is. This is a little bit more technical for those of you who like, I need a little bit more meat. You know who you are. It is the benevolent disposition or inclination in God that stirs him to bestow physical and spiritual blessings upon those created in his image. It is something that is stirring, this thing called love is stirring within God in such a way that he, out of his goodness, out of his kindness, out of his mercy, out of his grace, God does what? He he bestows benefits, both physical and spiritual, on his creatures, those that he has created in his image. Something is stirring in God and we also know something about God, that God is love. So God, at his very nature, has love bubbling over. It's stirring within him. Therefore, in, kind of in this respect, love is almost synonymous with grace. It is receiving something that, man, we just do not deserve. 
That's, that's how you can describe love. So let's, let's flush out this, this 1 Corinthians chapter 13, these first seven verses, and then we're going to kind of end with a, what if I just don't feel like it? Anybody ever feel like that? When it comes to love, that person? Do you know what they've done? I just don't feel like it. I, I can't make it happen. But let's flesh out this 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting kind of at verse 4, if you will. Because basically, 1 through 3, what does it say? Listen, if you don't have love, I don't care how many gifts. You know, if, even if you back up to uh, chapter 12, that last verse, and I will show you the most excellent way to desire the greatest gift that is out there. And that greatest gift is love. And so Paul is saying, let me show you something great. And even if you have all the spiritual gifts, you have all the talents, you have all the charisma in the world, you have the best looks, you have the best intentions, you have all these things, but you do not have love, you're nothing. It's empty. It's like the world. So Paul starts kind of flushing it out. Love is patient and kind, does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So he starts off by saying love is patient. Patience is, is a quality of love that the New Testament frequently mentions by this or a closely other kind of, some other kind of terminology. It basically describes just forbearing, hanging in there. It, it's, it's a slowness to repay for offenses. Throughout Scripture, God is described as patient and kind because he does not immediately punish those who have offended him. You see that time and time and time and time again in the Old Testament. God has every right to obliterate humanity. But what, what is this? There's love. God is patient in the offenses. God's patience slows down the judgment process and opens up a way for reprieve from, ju from justice or maybe just punishment altogether. Believers should behave similarly because of their love for each other. When an offense is taken, when there's a jab that's been thrown, when there's hurt that has been expressed and felt and received, a loving Christian is slow to strike back. Slow. In fact, that, that forbearance becomes an opportunity, opens up the floodgate of reconciliation and forgiveness. When we shut the door and strike out immediately and correct it and zap it immediately, it shuts down the opportunities for forgiveness. It shuts down the opportunities for future reconciliation of mending the bridges. 
So as, as, as the Corinthians disagreed with each other over many different issues, because Paul was writing to a screwed up, messed up, selfish kind of church, it was evident that they had to be patient in order to keep the church from disintegrating, from falling apart. But we've got to be careful, don't we? To distinguish patience from indifference. There's a, there's a big difference. Patience bears with an offense. Indifference ignores it altogether. Indifference does not uh, imply a goal. Indifference says, I'm done. Patience implies a goal of reconciliation, of forgiveness. While indifference may, may simply forget an issue, patience eventually runs out until, unless matters are resolved positively. So God is patient, but even his patience comes to an end. Every judgment from God, every judgment from God demonstrates this truth with the ultimate end of his patience coming on the day of the Lord, that last day. And in the same way, human patience must not become indifferent. Have you ever felt that way with love or in pain? in relationship. I'm just done. I'm indifferent. I just don't... I'm kind of writing it off. Love is patient. But love is also kind. Paul stresses that love demonstrates itself in kindness. This term kindness appears many times in, in Paul's epistles, in his letters, it's connected with patience, again, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. As the fruits of the Spirit are apparently, uh, fruits of the Spirit, apparently because these concepts are very similar. Paul's, Paul's distinction between patience and kindness was similar to that of English speakers. When, you, when you're patient with somebody, you exhibit Kindness. If you are not patient with somebody, you zap them with your wrath, right? Or you just turn it off. So patience has, has more of a temporal, right now kind of focus relating to taking time to deal with the offenses that we are experiencing. And kindness, in turn, has more to do with the manner with which we treat other people. So during times that require patience, love also deals graciously and generously and gently with offenders. Nevertheless, we, got, we must be careful to remember that kindness takes on many different forms. In general, kindness is soft and gentle. Occasionally, however, Kindness must take on the form of a careful, hear that, say that word, careful. a careful rebu rebuke. A careful rebuke designed to bring about a good result. A careful rebu rebuke hoping to turn a person 
back to face Christ again. So Paul says, listen, your love is to be patient because God has been patient with you. Your love is to be kind. Why? Because God has been kind with you. He goes on to say that love does not envy. Envy or, or jealousy is admiration and desire gone astray. One might rightly admire someone for what they have, the gifts that they have, the talents that they have, and he might desire many of the same good gifts for himself. But jealousy and envy begin when admiration and your desire turn to resentment. Resentment of another person for the good that they have. Look at what they have. That's not fair. That's not right. What about me? And love does not envy. Love does not envy. So there is, in this, there is a, a root of many terrible actions when it comes to envy in our world. I want to have that. So I must cross boundaries and I must break down borders. I must do these things so that I can have. It is all about me. And remember our definition of love? It is benevolent. It is the giving of oneself for the good of another. And so this breaks down the attitude that we are to have when it comes to loving one another. It is not about getting for me. It is how can I bless you? Being careful to check ourselves. Envy also seems to be motivated by some of the Corinthians to defraud people of their property. Perhaps even to lay behind some, some of the Corinthian feelings that they were not part of the body because they lacked certain gifts. So they were envious of what other people had. Maybe it was position. Maybe it was their place in the church. Maybe it was their, uh, their ability to relate with other people. They felt left out, so they became envious. So to envy is to not display the love of Christ who gave up himself completely for others. But, and love doesn't boast. Here, Paul's word for boast, it basically means that love does not parade itself. Look how well I love my wife. Look at how well I do this. Love does not parade. It's not this display. Look at what I'm doing. Because again, where is the focus? The focus is on self. The meaning seems to be about bragging without any kind of foundation. And we know that apart from Christ, we have nothing to brag about. And so love says, listen, it is not about me. I don't even have the ability to really care for you, love for you, be kind with you, to be patient with you. I have no ability to do any of this. Apart from Christ, I am empty. I am hopeless. But with Christ, these things are possible. That is a boasting with foundation. So love does not mean lying about our accomplishments. Rather, it 
it means not exalting ourselves over others as if our accomplishments were based on our own merit and our ability. Love is not arrogant. To be, to be proud is to be overly self-confident or inappropriately insubordinate to God or other people. Here Paul warned that love is just the opposite of pride. When, when one cares about other people, he does not find him or herself full of self-importance or arrogance. Love has a way of emptying and giving, of sacrificing. Love doesn't insist on its own way. You ever feel this? If you don't do this, <laughs> somebody's going to pay. There will be repercussions. I will take away privileges, your toys, because you're not playing by my rules. Love does not insist on its own way. It would appear that Paul had in mind here the practice of always putting oneself in first place without due consideration of others. I'll tell you, there are times that I struggle with this so much. I want to be the king of the mountain. Have you ever played that game? As a kid, it's probably outlawed now because we're not even around, uh, late around, uh, allowed to play those games, the monkey bars and all those kind of stuff because people are going to get hurt. But when I was a kid, we played king of the mountain. And at Pella Christian grade school, we actually had what I thought was a mountain. In my, if I go back, it's probably just a little bump in the ground. But at this mountain, your goal was to stay on top, right? If, and if somebody came even close, man, it became a tackling, shoving match just to get people away from your kingship. It's all about me on the top. I get my way. I win. And Paul says, listen, according to the definition of who God is, love does not get its own way. It, Paul is saying, listen, there, there are many times, Christian, where you are going to have to choose between benefit to others and benefit to yourself. And that's hard, isn't it? Because at the core of us, I want to win. I want to have. I want to be loved. I want to be respected. I want to be the one that is noticed. I want to be... I, I want to be the king of the hill. And Paul says, no. That's not how it works here. As important as it is to avoid being self-seeking and being king of the hill, it is equally important to realize that this practice does not mean entirely ignoring one's own legitimate needs, right? That does not mean that self-sacrifice to the point of cutting your throat, and dying. A Christian that is not breathing is dead. We want opportunities to be alive and to share the gospel. Jesus himself, even, you see him withdrawing from crowds, 
Sometimes just to get away and other times just to pray. Paul did the same. His life was characterized by selfless service. And he, but he would not allow his rights as a Roman citizen to be ignored. And much in the same way, love entails not putting ourselves first, but it does prohibit it, prohibit considering oneself as king. Love is not irritable. Those who love others do not normally, those who really love others, do not normally become irritated or angry whenever others do wrong. But rather they are slow to anger. They're slow to speak. Their disposition is different. They are patient. Love doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, right? But rejoices in truth. There, there's kind of a, a juxtaposing, kind of living on these two things. We're, we're, not gonna, we're not going to rejoice in wrongdoing, but we are going to rejoice in what is true. And here Paul reveals that such enjoyment is demonstrated by a lack of love who is, uh, you enjoy rejoicing in what is wicked and what is wrong? Man, there is, that means that person is living in sin. Sin destroys a person's life. So to rejoice in their sin is to rejoice in their ultimate destruction. Love bears all things. It can mean to endure or to cover or to protect. Love endures all things. If Paul had to mind the concept of endurance, he meant that love bears with many offenses and does not stop loving even under the strain of difficulties. Any of you ever experienced strain of difficulties in relationship? Are you out there? Any of you experience a strain of difficulty in relationships? The answer is yes. We all feel that strain. And, but that does not stop love. That does not stop love, even under the strain of difficulties imposed by other peoples, even so far that we are called to love our enemies, right? Don't just love those that you love you back. That's easy. We are called to love our enemies. But if, if he had in mind the concept of covering over, then maybe he had meant that love will not seek to expose the sins of others. In all events, whatever he means here, the basic idea is that a Christian love, Christian love handles the sins of others in ways that will not bring about exposure and shame, it bears with them in the midst of their trials. Love believes all things. And this, is, this, is, this characteristic of love is, is kind of difficult to define clearly. Perhaps it's best uh, expressed in the kind of contemporary English idiom that uh, love gives the benefit of the doubt. When I'm hurt, my first assumption is not to give them the benefit of the doubt. 
but to strike, right? To go for the jugular. To have suspicion. To have doubt. When someone loves with Christ-like love, he entrusts himself to the one he loves time and time and time and time and time again. And love always hopes. Always. Hope is the attitude that good will eventually come to those who may now be failing. There's hope. It stands opposed to being pessimistic. Failure invades every one of our lives. And it often causes others to, to give up on one who fails, right? Imagining of just a bleak future at best for them. Yet Christians who love continue to hope for their best and to give sacrificially of themselves for their best. And love endures and perseveres to the end. Christ-like love does not, does not stop when things get difficult. And I, I, I know that for myself. I, I know my trigger mechanisms that go off in my head. That when things get difficult, what do I do? I build a wall. Anybody else do that? You build a wall of safety and security, and it keeps everyone out. It keeps me safe. But here it says, no, Paul, you cannot do that. Love endures. It always perseveres. It pushes through. It keeps on going. Loving someone is easy when that other person does not challenge you, does not challenge my affections, challenge my, my love, does not challenge anything. This is why Love's quality becomes evident when trials come our way. So we are to endure. So what I conclude for what Paul is doing here, he's not trying to define love in the abstract. No, what he's doing is he is saying, hey, Missio Dei Church, I, I, I want you to look at these behaviors of love. Your attitudes and behaviors are not how the church should act. This is how those who have been redeemed by Christ are to act. Your attitudes and your behaviors should match up. So Paul is not just defining love. He's applying love to their situation. And he's applying love to our situation and using it as a criteria for for why their attitudes and their behaviors in, in the church in Corinth are unacceptable. Now, as a former youth pastor, and as a parent, I have had many opportunities to work with teenagers. Attitude can be a problem. Amen? It's okay. Amen? Amen. And it doesn't have to be just teenagers. It can be your grown-up children. 
It can be those on their way out. It can be the ones that you... Attitude can be a problem. However, attitude that is in line with God and with Jesus Christ is a huge blessing. That is the attitude of love. Let, let me... W.G.T. Shedd uh, wrote this. Love is inclination. Love is inclination. He's talking about the inclination of the heart, the attitude of our heart. It's the attitude of heart that is disposed to depose God and say, God, whatever you want, I'll take that. It embraces God. It, it, it loves Jesus. And when we love our, the Lord our God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, it changes stuff. This is the love of God. The attitude, the inclination is love. The predisposition is to love. Then that's why what the Philippians, what Philippians is saying about Jesus Christ, have this attitude. Have this mentality. This love in your heart, which is also in Christ Jesus. Have it. Have this attitude. So when you have this attitude, you embrace the commandments of God. You run after them. You pursue them. You walk in these commandments as that are laid out in 1 Corinthians 13 with kindness, with patience, with forbearance. Your life displays the love of God inwardly and outwardly. But it's not always that easy, is it? What if it is just not in you to love? You ever feel that? I just don't have an ounce more that I can give. I just, I just can't do it. This kind of 1 Corinthians 13 is lofty stuff, and it is tough when we think about it. We have all been hurt in relationships. We are all damaged goods. I don't care what face you wear. You are damaged goods. We all tend to be gun-shy. We withhold our Christ-like love to those former employers, those friends who have screwed us, those old boyfriends, those old girlfriends, those difficult neighbors, those co-workers, those ex-wives, those ex-husbands, you name it. The list goes on and on and on. This thing called love is not easy. And we would much rather circle the wagons, wouldn't we? Circle the wagons and enter into self-preservation mode than to truly exhibit Christ's words. To love one another as I have loved you. Oswald Chamber in his, his book, his devotional called My Utmost for His Highest said this. I will bring, Jesus, he said, is saying, I will bring a number of people around you whom you cannot respect. But you must exhibit my love to them just as I have exhibited it to you. And he goes on to say, this kind of love is not a patronizing love for the unlovable. It is his love. It is his love, and it will not be evidenced in us overnight. So for some of us, we just say, you know what, if I cannot, 
if I can't work it up, if I cannot uh, get to a place where I feel love for that person, what are you going to do? I'm, I'm just going to be done with it. I'm going to avoid them. I won't talk to them at church. I won't talk to that neighbor in the, in the yard. I, I'll just avoid them at all costs. If I can't conjure it up, if I can't feel this way about them, I'm going to avoid them. I'm not going to call them. I'm not going to text them. I'm not going to write them an email. I'm not going to walk over. I'm not going to invite them into my house. I'm not going to do anything like that because you know what? They're difficult, and I just don't feel like it. I can't get that warm, loving feeling. Anybody? We write them off. Oh, praise God that he doesn't do that with us, right? So what do we do? What do we do? Our desire is to just wait until our kind of our inner affections catch up with our theological or our biblical ideals, right? Oh, I know this up here, but I'm just my heart's just not there yet. Someday maybe I'll love them. Uh, is that how it works? We we don't want to fake it, right? I don't fake love. But I believe God wants to ask, what would I do? Paul, ask this question. What would you do if you had appropriate feelings for them? Does that change things? What would you do if you actually had appropriate loving feelings towards that person? Would you become honest with your feelings and begin reconciling them with the love of God? Would you get off your couch and apologize to your spouse? Would you call your family member that you have not talked to for years? Would you ask your crazy cat lady neighbor and her kids to come over to your house? Will you take the first steps of reconciliation? Friends, I, I want you to use your God-given imagination to picture what loving looks like. And then I want you to actually do it. And pray as you act. Seriously. Paul, I, I don't know if I could get there with them. Start start moving in that direction and pray as you take those steps. Love them with the love of Christ. After all, he loved you when you were absolutely unlovable. So love them. And yes, you're human, you're broken, and you're, you're disfigured emotionally. But you know what? He has given you the power to do this. Pray as you act. You do not want to live in this discrepancy between acting and, and feeling forever. And praise God that we won't have to. But as we wait to be more perfectly like him, we expectantly pray for God to enlarge our redeemed and often Grinch-sized hearts. God, enlarge this coal that is lodged here and give it a heart of flesh, God. You loved me when I was unlovable. 
Help me to love them, to see them with your eyes. What does love got to do with it? Absolutely everything. If there's any division in this church and any avoidance that we have here, do you know what the issue is? Lovelessness. That's the issue. If there's any brokenness in your marriage, friends, do you know what the issue is? We don't get the love of God. We don't understand it. So what do we do? We step into these actions with faith. We don't grit our teeth and and fake it in the traditional sense. No, we fake it looking to Christ and waiting upon His Spirit to complete what He has already started in us. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He'll bring it to completion. It's going to happen. Looking expectantly and praying in faith. Without faith in our acting, we behave as Pharisees and we don't please God. But we, we look to God and say, Lord, would you change my heart as I'm, I'm moving towards them? Would you help me to love them with the love of Christ? Being, being patient, being kind, not boasting, not being arrogant, not demanding my own way. Lord, would you give me the heart of Christ? Help me to love these people for the love of Christ. Friends, it's true that your actions often flow from your affections, right? Mother's Day, I've got affections for my wife, and my actions flow because of those affections. But it's also true that your affections flow from your actions. In time, God will work, and you will love your enemy. You'll love the difficult person. You'll, you'll love that spouse who, geez, screwed it all up again. My child, that wayward son, you know, God's going to give me a heart. When I start moving towards him or her with the love of Christ, he's going to work in my heart. And he's going to work in their hearts. Know this. An entire alphabet scarlet letters cannot separate you from the love of God. And if that is true for you, it's true for others as well. Friends, never give up on someone. Never stop praying for them even those who seem the most helpless and broken. And that includes yourself.